Jesus quotes the book of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 8, a very interesting passage as we begin to study in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to do that in just three minutes, so stay there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we take you through the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. We are going through the New Testament now. This is fascinating. Corey and Ryan are here to help us with this. Corey? Taking a look at places of teaching and learning synagogues in the scripture. Ryan? Well, today Jesus stresses a principle taught by Solomon in Proverbs 25. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on. Very interesting. Janice? Today I want to talk about living in rightness with God. All right. I look forward to that. She's coming up in about 15 minutes there in about 12 minutes. It is a good day to read the Bible. So open up your Bible and let's open up our hearts and listen to what God is saying to us as we read through the New Testament. Matthew 4, 1 through 10. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 4 to 6, that's what we read today. Now, we know that there is nothing so fatal as giving into temptation. Yet our culture too often encourages us to indulge our temptations rather than to reject them, even when they may be harmful to us. Now, when we look at the life of Christ, however, we see that we can resist our temptations and avoid sin altogether. In this freedom, we can fulfill the call of God on our lives and serve Him. All of us are subservient to something. We will either serve sin or we'll serve God. Remember the song, you got to serve somebody? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Well, indulging in our sin may feel good for a while, but that crumbles when we become driven by our impulses. 
On the flip side, living in submission to God gives us access to his power through the Holy Spirit who teaches us self-discipline. Now, it may not be easy, but it is certainly better than being controlled by sin, let me tell you. God can and will empower us to overcome temptation as we follow him. Jesus knows what it is to be weak, to want, and to be tempted. He set the pattern for us of saying no to sin. Let's ask God to help us do the same thing today. Now, this is a fascinating study today and a really interesting read as we focus on this because it's going to be something, the temptation. Now, I would suggest that we consider the temptation a little differently, the temptation of Jesus Christ and what that means, because all the time we are involved in watching commercials on TV or seeing advertisements on the internet, watching and seeing advertisements in the print media, listening to it on radio. But, but let, me, let me ask you a question. Do we ever hear about following the Lord? Crickets. Crickets. Never. We need to follow God. We need to listen to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life, quite to the contrary. It means that we control, we learn by the Holy Spirit to control our lives as we follow Jesus. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, Matthew 4, 1 through 10. And if you don't have a Bible guide, we'll give you one. If you call us or write to us or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on it, and you can download it like we printed. But we need to pray today. Father, I pray now that you would help us to learn what your scripture tells us about temptation. I'm not interested in what, you know, commercials are going to tell me. And I'm not interested in what the advertisements tell me because they're just trying to sell something. Every commercial has a lie. We're not sure what the lie is. We have to watch it to see the lie. But Father, we recognize that happiness doesn't come from using a certain hairspray. Happiness doesn't come from using a certain cologne. Help us, Lord, to understand that you tell us how to control ourselves because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And help us, Lord, to read from your scripture and learn that in this passage today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with that in mind, we go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, capital S, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards, he was hungry. Yeah, no kidding. He didn't eat anything for 40 days and nights. That's incredible. Verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, to resist the first temptation. You see, understand that scripture is powerful and helps us to focus on God's call in our life. Read the Bible daily. That's what we say. 
That's why we take you through the word of God, because as we read the Bible, he will tell you things he's never told us. He will speak to you things by the power of his Holy Spirit and show you things. And you know what? You need to be understanding that the Holy Spirit may use you to build up the body of Christ. That's the idea. It's the Holy Spirit, not a commercial. It's not the latest thing. Very interesting. Well, let's go to verse 5 and 7. Here's what it says. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, you know, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Psalm 91. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan quotes God's word out of context to tempt Jesus a second time. We should memorize the whole word of God, continue to work on that in our lives to keep our lives in line with Christ. Let me explain. When we memorize the word of God, we're not memorizing words for words, but we're memorizing what God is. We're meditating and memorizing what God has taught us. Thy word have I hid in my heart, Psalm 119.11, that I might not sin against you. You see, this is the idea. God gives us his word to make our hearts able to resist sin and not get caught up in it. That was the second temptation. Now the third. Again, the devil took him on, the, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will simply fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. What does this mean? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 in response to Satan's third attempt. We should read the word of God regularly to continue and worship the Lord correctly. Satan used the Bible against Jesus, because he heard him saying it was written. So Satan used the word out of context. Jesus brings the word of God back in context by showing Satan, no, this is what that means. This is how you do it. Not like you're applying it. So many people today are using the word in the wrong way. We need to listen to God, listen to what he says, and use it the right way. Exegesis, taking the Bible and applying it to our hearts. Very important. This is covered in the temptation of Jesus. There's a lot of lessons in here, and you may have read, seen many more that uh, I hadn't, have not spoken about, but that's the truth, beloved. We need to understand that because God is trying to help us follow him as we read his word. Father, help us today to follow you and to listen and watch your son, Jesus Christ, and to follow him. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised 
that the Holy Spirit would be sent. So as we read and study through the Gospels, we're going to notice that Jesus and the apostles, the disciples and then apostles, uh, speak a lot in Jewish synagogues. And this makes a lot of sense. These were places of learning. They were places of teaching and community and fellowship. Uh, much, you know, different than church today, different even than Jewish synagogues today, because they took on a bit of a different role after the destruction of the temple. But I want to go uh, back to the time period when the Gospels are happening, the, the, the material in the Gospels are happening, and I want to see what we can learn about the history of synagogues. All around the world, synagogues are an integral part of Judaism. From the Greek meaning place of assembly, the synagogue today is referred to as a house of prayer, house of assembly, house of study, and in some cases even temple. While this institution's recent 2,000 years of history can be tracked relatively easily, its origins are still a bit of a mystery. There are no mentions of synagogues in the Old Testament of the Bible, so it's commonly believed that synagogues must have developed after the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 BC. The reasoning goes that once robbed of the central element of the Jewish faith, the priests of Judah began teaching, reading, and studying Torah. Buildings, perhaps homes, were refurbished to facilitate this. And soon, the synagogue, the assembly of faithful Jews observant to the covenant, became a cornerstone in Jewish society. One of the obvious benefits being that any community, despite their geographical location or distance from Jerusalem, could have their own synagogue. The earliest mention of synagogues may come from a 3rd century BC Egyptian inscription. Beyond this, by the first century AD, synagogues were a part of normal Jewish life, receiving mentions by Philo of Alexandria, Flavius Josephus, the New Testament, and rabbinic literature. Amazingly, just south of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Theodotus inscription was found. It once adorned a synagogue that lived practically in the shadow of the temple, demonstrating that the two establishments were not competitive. The inscription tells us that synagogues had been around for some time, they were used for studying the scriptures as a hostel, and they kept water for Jewish purification rituals. Early synagogues seem not to have been associated with prayer, likely because of the temple's scriptural role as a house of prayer. The temple's destruction by Rome in AD 70 changed the function and focus of synagogues. Without a place for sacrifice, festivals, and prayer, the people turned to their synagogues and emphasized what they could do to follow God, the sacrifices of studying scripture and praying three times a day to correspond to the times sacrifices used to be made at the temple. The temple had been destroyed before, and Judaism had been able to maintain a strong religious culture. Interestingly, the Torah Ark, the shelved box in which a synagogue's scriptures were kept, were also directly influenced by the destruction of the temple. As synagogues changed to preserve the memory of the temple, the Torah Ark was treated to represent the Holy of Holies, called an Ark to reference the Ark of the Covenant, decorated with temple motifs and sometimes flanked with curtains, as was the temple's Holy of Holies. The orientation of the seating benches also shifted from a central focus to a Torah shrine focus, which was normally located on the Jerusalem-facing wall.
There we go. Just a quick uh, primer, really, on ancient synagogues. More to be said on how Jesus and the apostles taught and preached and traveled as we continue to go on through the Gospels. I think it's interesting because today we have synagogues still. Yeah. Um, and but but it, the ancient synagogues were very different than they are today. Yeah, and I mean that's to be expected. There's two thousand years of history in between the time period of the gospel and the time period of now, and significant changes have happened. Right, even within Judaism, with the destruction of the temple, amazing that Judaism has survived. You know, without the temple, uh, but yeah. Uh, some similar functions definitely of synagogues today as as in the ancient world but time and culture and situations have changed things yeah it really has very very interesting yeah. thank you and let me just say before we go any further that uh, if you want to join us on the 21st of october uh, we have a special thing thing that we're doing um, and it's a live event the first time we've ever done a live event this is going to be very exciting i'd like to meet you and so if you're in the Ontario, Canada area, join us at Faith Gospel Tabernacle to register. We, we want you to register, not because it costs money, but just because we like to know who's coming. So if you could register, go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and look for it. Or you can go to uh, register by calling us and, uh, at 519-940-8338. And they'll take your information there and it'll be great to see you. And hopefully you'll be able to join us. Very good. Okay, Ryan, go ahead. Okay, so today my report is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, where Jesus teaches that we should love our enemies and bless those who curse us and do good to those who hate us and pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. And Jesus here is stressing a principle taught in Proverbs 26. In that proverb, Solomon instructs his readers that if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, Paul also teaches from this proverb, and the message is very clear. We are to love our enemies and return evil with good. But what I want to do today is focus on the result of our actions. And the result, according to Solomon, is that you will heap burning coals on your enemy's head. Now, that's a really interesting image, and we want to try and figure out what it means and what it's referring to. So let's go. Although a human's natural tendency is to love his friends and hate his enemies, Solomon in Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22 goes against the grain by suggesting to his readers that if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The Apostle Paul, who directly quoted this proverb in Romans 12.20, also admonishes his readers to do likewise. And the Messiah, Jesus, so too stressed this principle in Matthew 5.44. Interestingly, certain extra-biblical wisdom literature also admonishes such behavior. For instance, an ancient Egyptian work advises the wise person to shame fools or their enemies by pulling them out of deep water and by feeding them once bread until they are so full that they are ashamed. Similarly, the precepts and admonitions in Babylonian wisdom literature states that the wise man should not return evil to the man who disputes with you, and should in fact smile on your adversary. While this is almost certainly the direction in which this proverb is going, Solomon's metaphor of heaping burning coals on the head remains somewhat obscure. One possibility is that it's a reference to a particular Assyrian punishment in which hot asphalt was poured on the offender's head. 
The problem with this is that Proverbs 25 refers to coals, not hot tar. In fact, this Assyrian practice sounds a lot more like the punishment of tarring and feathering that we read about in more recent historical accounts. A second and more likely possibility is that Solomon was referring to an Egyptian ritual in which a guilty person, as a sign of repentance, carried a basin of glowing coals on the head. In other words, by being kind to your enemy, you cause them to become red in the face through embarrassment and move them to repent. But it's important to understand that in this context, coals of fire doesn't refer to revenge or punishment, but to the pangs of shame that will lead to reconciliation. Indeed, the imagery of the burning coals represents pangs of conscience, more readily affected by kindness than by violence. The wise and godly advice of Solomon, Paul, and Jesus is very clear. We must love our enemies and return evil with good, in hopes that our adversary will be moved to repentance. But even if they aren't, Solomon promises in Proverbs 25:22 that the Lord will surely reward you. Therefore, contrary to our sinful instincts, we must love our enemies and overcome evil with good, no matter what. So this metaphor might be referring to an old Egyptian custom in which a guilty person, as a sign of repentance, carried a basin of glowing coals on the head. And just like their faces would become red from the heat, our enemies become red in the face from embarrassment because of our kind and loving response. But whether this is the exact image Solomon had in mind or not, the message of Solomon and Jesus and Paul is still crystal clear. We must never return evil with evil, but return evil with good and love and pray for our enemies and our persecutors. You know, what's interesting about that is the display of the dramatic inside the words so that we understand what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And because it's, you know, today in the social media networks and all that stuff, nobody's doing that. Everybody's just chopping, you know, saying their own piece and it's all about me and all that. So that's very interesting, right? For Thank sure. You. Yeah. Janice? Well, I don't think my English is very good with my title, Living Rightness with God. But here's what I want to talk about. We focus today on Matthew chapter 4, where the devil is tempting Jesus. But I want to back up and then move forward. I want to take a look at Jesus and John the Baptist. And we start at verse 13, and we see that Jesus is coming from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by John. And verse 14 says, and John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? Now, you can imagine if you were John the Baptist in this situation, I, I think I would be the very same. And in another section, we hear that he's, I I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. But listen to Jesus' response, because I read it very differently uh, just this morning as I was preparing my segments. Verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When Jesus spoke those words to John the Baptist, listen to them again, because John had just said to him, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. And Jesus said, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John 
allowed Jesus. And I thought, this is so fascinating that Jesus, God himself, comes to John to be baptized as an example, and that he would allow John this honor and this privilege to be baptizing the one that created him. It really is mind-boggling, isn't it, when you stop and you think about this? And the fact that when we come to the Lord Jesus and repent to him and give our lives to follow him, then we too participate in the things that Jesus has done and sets in order for us to do as we follow him in his word. And now moving forward, it says, excuse me, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was then taken by the spirit into this mountain to be tempted by the devil. We too will have temptations by the evil one but it is the word of God, it is Jesus. It is that word that keeps us from those temptations. We will be tempted, but God always makes a way for us to be removed from that temptation. Jesus is the word of God. We need to have him indwelling, his Holy Spirit indwelling in us, and his word, not only in our minds by reading it, but in our hearts so that we can live it out. So that someday, When we come into his presence, he will say, like the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, um, well done, good and faithful servant. And this is what I want to hear. This is what I want to hear from my Lord and Savior. Um, Well done, good and faithful servant. So let's remember, the Lord Jesus Christ allows us to participate in building the kingdom of Christ. We do that by having a relationship with the Lord Jesus, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in his word to get it into our minds, but into our hearts so that we can live it out and be the ambassadors. We can be a light. We can be the salt to this earth. Remember that our live meeting, October the 21st from 1 till 5.30 p.m. at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. I'd like to meet you and see you there. If you could make it, that'd be great. Let us know you're gonna be there by going to Bible Discovery TV and registering. It's, It's free, there's no cost, but we just need to know you're coming. Today we pray, Lord, I desire to learn and listen to you. I'm gonna read your word. Help my commitment to be solid, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.